And they were on the road going up to Jerusalem, and Jesus was walking ahead of them, and they were amazed, and those who followed were afraid. And taking the twelve again, he began to tell them what was to happen to him. Welcome back to the Untrained Podcast. We've been reading through the Gospel of Mark together um, at the Mwollenbar Seventh-day Adventist Church, and we know that there are people from Newcastle and other parts of the world that are reading along with us, and we've really been enjoying this. And so the ministry of Jesus has really pivoted to really focusing and trying to show his disciples what's to come to him Mm. and the purpose of why he came. Um, Have you noticed like a pattern of behavior that keeps happening? amongst the disciples as soon as Jesus shares with them that he's about to die. Yeah, there's like a clamoring for power. As soon yeah, as man. Jesus is like, I'm going to be a servant, and then the response to that is, how can we get more power? Yeah, it's it's really weird. I was actually talking to someone about this this week, and they were like, it's like your parent telling you that they've got cancer, and then you come to your parent, and you're like, can I get the car? Yeah. <laughs> messed up it's really messed up right like jesus is and obviously they're missing the point of what jesus is saying i think mark's really highlighting that they've just they've missed this yeah but it when you do understand what he is sharing the depths of the sacrifice and selflessness Mm. that is communicating that he needs to go through their response is just so offensive yeah and it's it's one thing to get it wrong the first time but it's another thing to get it wrong the second time and then the third time. Oh, no. Come the third time, it's even more offensive. Yeah. Because you have all those previous, you know, rebukes from Jesus yeah. and then further explanations from Jesus, but they're still holding on to this pet idea. Yeah, no, good yeah. point. Good point. Um, so we kick off this week's reading in verse 32. Yeah. And so for the third time, Jesus is describing to them. And did you notice that he gives more specific detail than in any other previous description? Yeah, it's definitely the most detailed account. Of yeah, what's happening. so he's like, we're going to Jerusalem. I'll be delivered to the chief priests and scribes. They will condemn me to death and deliver me to the Gentiles. They will mock me, spit on me, flog me and kill me. Mm-hmm. And after three days, I will rise. I do not know how pl- much plainer Jesus could be. He's spelling it out, isn't he? And then look at this. Verse 35. And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him and said to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. First of all, if that's ever something your kid says to you, red flag. (laughs) (laughs) And Jesus obviously caught on this. He's like, well, hold up. What do you want me to do? Yeah. They said to him, grant us to sit one at the right hand, the other on your left, in your glory. Mm. So what are they doing? Yeah. Well, their understanding of the glory is completely opposite to what Jesus has just explained that glory to be. Absolutely. And so you imagine if Jesus actually said, yeah, you can be on my right hand and my left in my glory. Like Jesus' glory was the cross. Yep. And so I don't think that, I know that that's not what they were thinking glory would mean. Otherwise, they wouldn't have asked that question. Well, Jesus says that. He says his response is not no. Yeah. His response is you do not know what you ask. You don't know the depths of what you're even considering. You don't know what you're asking me. Yeah. It, it reminds me of a story. So, so when I went to Melbourne, I think for the first time, uh, when would it this Noah would have been about three, two and a half, three. Mm. My f- eldest first one, for those who don't know. And um, they were doing a bonfire after one of the evangelistic programs. And it's the first time Noah's seen a bonfire. Yeah. And so from afar off, he's just seeing this bright, glowing. He's like, and he's getting so excited for this, so excited for this. 
And he goes, Tata, they, my kids call me Tata. He says, Tata, 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 can I run into that bright light? And I was like, yeah, no way. And he was shattered. He was yeah. shattered until we got closer and he saw that this is actually some raging heat. Yeah. But it's kind of like that same thing. Like he did not know what he was asking me. Yes. So James and John are coming to Jesus and they think they know what they're asking, but mm. they don't have a clue. Yeah. Mm. They don't have a clue. And so Jesus tries to explain to them. So what were they actually asking? What were they asking? Well, yeah. they, were, they were thinking of Jesus, you know, king, kingly glory when he comes into Jerusalem because that's where they're going. They're going to Jerusalem over the past few chapters. We've seen Jesus getting closer yeah. and closer to Jerusalem. And it's, it's interesting because like we know what's going to happen to Jerusalem and Jesus always connects what's going to happen to Jerusalem to his death and his suffering. Yes. And what's really powerful with that is like no one's forcing Jesus to go to Jerusalem. Mm. Nobody's you know got his hand behind his back and saying, you shall go to Jerusalem. Jesus is voluntarily choosing yeah. Jerusalem because in choosing Jerusalem, he's choosing death. Great point. And the disciples, like they're just really struggling to, they think, oh, Jerusalem, kingly glory. Finally, we go into the temple. Finally, yeah. you know, things are getting, are going to happen. But Jesus is like, you don't know what you're asking because in Jerusalem, there's going to be a cup that I'm going to drink and there's going to be baptism that I'm going to be baptized by. And he's trying to prepare them. For sure. And what about the arrogance on their part? <laughs> he's like, we are able. Are you able to drink the cup I'm able to drink and be baptized with the baptism I'm baptized? And they're like, we are able. This <laughs> is crazy. It's like, yes, we are Jesus. We know ourselves more than what you know us. Do you know what really jumped out to me at this? It's like, that's what, what you described is what they thought they were asking. Mm. But what they were actually asking is found in Matthew 27 where it's describing Jesus on the cross. Yeah. And it says, and he was crucified with two others, one on his left, one, one on his right. right. Yeah. They thought that they were saying, give me power, Jesus, right? Give me authority. I want to have almost as much authority as you have. Mm. Meanwhile, what they were saying is like, God, can I please experience what you just described? Can I please be betrayed? Can I be handed over to the Gentiles? Can I be flogged and spat upon and crucified with you? Please let me be on the left and right when you go through that. Yeah. And he's like, yeah, you don't know what you're asking. Yeah. You think it's interesting, like when I was reading this, there's a combination of worship and then also self-interest. Hmm. And those two things are together. So like they recognize that Jesus is, you know, he's special. Yeah. And he has people in glory. He's going into glory. They recognize and they're wanting to worship him in glory. But there's like this selfish self-interest that's involved. They don't only want to be connected with Jesus and have the benefits of being connected. They mm. want to be seen next to Jesus. Mm. And I think sometimes like in church land, like it's, we want to worship God, but there's also sometimes, you know, there's self-interest involved when we come and we serve him. Interesting. And Jesus beforehand, like he's like, you know, I'm a servant. And we're going to see this later on. He, yep. he expresses what that fully means. So the coolest part of this whole portion for me was after they said to them, we are able to, and they're totally not. Mm. Jesus responds to them. And he says, you know, it's not mine to give that. Yep. But then he finishes and goes that you will be one day ready for that. Yeah. And so they were totally not at the right place. They were not doing the right thing. They were not ready to lay their life down for God. But he's like, but you will be. And I think that that's awesome. Yeah, to give you life down as a yeah. as a servant. I think like when he, when Jesus says when he talks about this cup, you know, I was asking myself the question, what is this cup? You know, I mean, 
obviously, you know, it's it doesn't look like it's a pleasant cup. It's not a pleasant cup. Well, we don't know this from the Gospel of Mark yet, if this yeah. was the first time for anyone that's reading. But for those of us that have read it, my, my brain went to the Garden of Gethsemane, yeah. where Jesus is begging the Father, please let this cup pass from me. And that was the cup of the wrath of God that is about to endure for us. And it's important to note that this isn't the first time that the cup has been used as a symbol of God's wrath you know, against sin. Mm. Like this is actually something that you see in the Old Testament. Yeah, know? sorry, I had to readjust. <laughs> <laughs> this is something like, and it symbolizes God's wrath against sin, but who's drinking it here? It's not sinners. It's God. But it's the sinless one. It's, yeah. it's God. And so it just reiterates that point of, you know, this is the servant who yeah. chooses to drink the cup that he never should have drank, but he yeah. chooses to for the salvation of the world. Yeah. And all these themes are starting to come. And we're going to see it like when we get to get, Sammy, even more. get to the cross, it's just building for, for that. We talked about this a lot this week because we've been writing the Bible study guides for the other series we're doing for church. Mm. And we were talking about the sanctuary study this week. And one of the questions was, you know, this, this seemingly barbaric practice of sacrificing the sanctuary, yeah. how's that difference to the, to the pagans? And really the difference is pagans require you to bring a sacrifice to appease God. Yes. Whereas we see here, God sacrifices himself, himself. for you. Yeah. And that is the thing that makes the God of the Bible different to every other fictional God that exists. Yeah. Because every other fictional God is inspired by Satan. Yeah. And so the core of that fiction is going to be selfishness. It's where Ellen White says that at the heart of every false religion is the thought that you can save yourself mm. by the things that you bring to God, whether yeah. it's good works. Like it's yeah. the whole kind of story of, you know, um, Cain and Abel. Yeah. You know, the fruits of your labor are what God has provided, which is the lamb. Yeah. And so last week, and I really like the point that you brought up last week, and I know I'm going to yeah. bring it up again, but I've been thinking about this week about that that salt representing mm. the righteousness of Christ. It's something that's given to you. Um, you've never earned it. You've never deserved it, but you're given it. And I think that we're starting to see this is something entirely new yeah. that we're seeing is being given to the world. It's a beautiful thing. So... There's two things that I've been feeling emotionally as I read this section, and especially after this, when, when this finishes, um, the, the other 10 get angry at them. And, and I, don't, I don't blame them. But they're not angry because they did this. They're angry because they want the position. And because Jesus said, yeah, you will one day. <laughs> so I'm starting to get frustrated at them because I hurry up and get this thing. But on the other side, I got a lot of hope because mm. I, I don't know how if, if you experience this, but for me... When, when scripture reveals the humanness of these guys, it gives me so much hope because it also records what God was able to do through them. Yeah. And it's like, man, if, if, if he can do it through them, he can do it through me too. And that just gives me hope that because yeah. just like them, I am slow to understand, slow to comprehend and, and keep kind of fumbling through life. And yet it gives me hope that that's not enough to stop God from yeah. being able to do what God can do. And it's like three instances. Jesus says, I'm going to die. This is what's going to happen to me. Peter says, you won't do this. Jesus says, get behind me, say. Yeah. Second time, Jesus says, I'm going to die. And then they're like, on the road, who's going to be the greatest? Yes. You know? And Jesus yes. is like, so what are you guys talking about in the way? And they were silent. Yeah. Third time, Jesus says it. And James John, hey, can we be on your right and your yeah, left yeah. and your glory? You know. Third. And so three times, it's just like, bam, bam, bam. Exactly. And it's heightened because they haven't learned the lessons previously. But yes. God's still like, Yes, yeah. you will, but just not yet. Yeah, no, it's true. It's like, keep following, keep following me, and it'll yeah. all make sense. Sorry, I just bumped the mic. Um, so let's move forward to blind Bartimaeus. Can we just, I just, I just think it'd be cool if we could just read the final verses of yeah, Jesus. Yeah, go for it, go for it, go for it. 
where he he contrasts the um what the Gentiles do and what his kingdom's all about. So oh, basically, yeah. he's saying that this is the kingdom of the world, and this is the kingdom of heaven. Mm. And it may appear is as if the kingdom is of the world is the way things should be done, and that's the right way up. But in fact, the kingdom of heaven is actually the right way up, and everything else mm. is the wrong way round. Mm. And so he says. Um, in verse 42, he says, You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentile lorded over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. But it, now sh- it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great amongst you must be your servant. Uh, you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. And then he says this word for. Now this is the reasoning. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. And so the word for in verse 45, he's showing why why yeah. we are to live this life and the answer is because i have yeah that's good and, and i think that that's really really powerful yeah and it just captures the essence of jesus ministry yeah, it's, absolutely. it's a servant-hearted ministry it's selflessness man yeah. he's selfless he's love mm. and that yeah all right so and they came to jericho after this yeah yep um did you notice how bartimaeus kind of asked similar questions to yeah. james and john yeah, but it's yeah. not for search of power but it's to, in search of God and, and for God to heal. Yeah. yeah? Mm. And, and they, he's coming with faith. And so this is kind of right in contrast. And Mark does this a lot, doesn't he? Yeah. He compares the disciples and then <laughs> to, to the other stories yeah. of faith and it, it rebukes them. And like what you said Absolutely. before, like it just exposes the humanity of the disciples. Yes. Yeah. In the midst of other humans who mm-hmm. do have faith and exactly. they're not even like close followers exactly. of Jesus. And, and and we know from other stories in Scripture, like if he was blind, people would probably consider him out of favor with God. Yeah. And yet he's this apparent out of favor with God person who has the eyes of faith to be able to see and grasp what the disciples can't. Yeah, absolutely. That's and really so the point, and yeah. so to James and John, the answer has to be no. Mm. But to Bartimaeus, it's yes. Mm. Now. Both of them are really the same answer. God gave both of them what was best for them. Yeah. Right? Like if he granted James and John their wish, they'd be dying on the cross. It just shows us that it's sometimes good when God doesn't give us what we want. I actually think (laughs) that that previous story we just read about is an amazing example of how we can think we want something. Yeah. But the best thing God could do is say no. Mm. The, yeah? Yeah, absolutely. And so with this whole situation of Bartimaeus, did anything jump out at you? I, I really love that point that you made about a blind man who actually saw um, before he actually saw. Mm. And this, like you said, is just compared with the disciples. These are guys that are following Jesus who claim to see, but they're actually blind. Yeah. And here's this man who is blind but actually sees. Yes. Um, I, I lo- this, is, this is the last healing that Jesus does in Mark. Yeah. And it's on the way to the cross here. And mm-hmm. what I what I think is so powerful is the question that Jesus asks him is the very same question that Jesus asks James and John. You know, um, what do you want me to do for you? Yes. You saw that as well? Yes. Yeah, yeah. So he asks that same question of the disciples. Yes. And um, and they sought for power. They sought for power. This guy seeks after, after sight that he yeah. might see. Um, yeah. And I don't know. I just think it's, it's really powerful. Like, I mean... Here is Jesus. He's advancing towards the most important part of his life. Yes. This Jesus' life, it wasn't just him living the perfect life. Yes. But the ultimate purpose of his life was his death. That's why Mm -hmm. he had come, you know. And here Jesus is going towards this most important event. 
Yes. He's getting closer and closer to Jerusalem. And here he stops because mm-hmm. a guy's calling out to him. And and this, for me, this just warms my heart so much. Like, this is this is Jesus, man. Yeah. <laughs> like, he stops that a blind man might see, you know, and it just reminds me of that, um, you know, Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound. Mm. I once was blind, but now I see, you know. And it's like Jesus is doing the most important thing, but he stops for a man that's reaching out in faith. Yeah. And I was like, Phew. Like that's that's the gospel in a story. How beautiful! You know? Yeah. You know, what the disciples have gone through mm. is what the rest of the world's about to go through. Yeah. See, they got that this is the Messiah, mm. and then their idea of Messiah is being shattered. Yeah. And I was just thinking of this blind man, because the Bible finishes this story by saying immediately he recovered sight and followed him on the way. Yeah. Well, on the way to what? Well, that leads us to the triumphal entry. Yeah. And so this blind man is healed, and the first thing he sees is Jesus. And he's following Jesus. And the next thing he sees is the like the fulfillment of prophecy of how Messiah enters. Yeah. Like the first thing he's seen in how long, what's he see? He's he's riding into Jerusalem on a donkey. Yeah. And you know what it shows you? Like saving faith is following faith. Mm, you know, that's so good. The, the faith that saves you actually means that you follow Jesus. And it's like he followed. I like that a lot. He followed him on the way. Like, I think I'm learning a lot about discipleship in all of this, mm. and the disciples are following Jesus. Why? Because of the things they get from Jesus. Yeah. Here's this guy who's following Jesus on his way. On his way where? To death. Mm. And this is what a disciple looks like. Yeah. Um, saving faith is a following faith. They follow it? him wherever he goes. Yeah, and that's what God's they don't follow him for. What will be beneficial to them in their own eyes or how they will be perceived yeah that's good yeah that's good all right so let's get to the triumphal entry eh? yeah um so they came near to jerusalem now right they're getting closer and closer um they're near the mount of olives and jesus sent two of his disciples to the village to go get the donkey or the cult yeah Mm. um Did you get anything out of this portion of it or more later on in the story? I guess more so like, well, we're in the final third of Mark. Yeah. And so like, I was just considering, you know, that we're in the final third of this book and so things are coming to a head and this is what Jesus' ministry and life is all about in these next few chapters. Mm-hmm. And so what you actually find is you actually find that the majority of Mark, when you consider this is the final third, the ma- a third of the book of Mark is devoted to the last week of Jesus' life. Yes. And so we've, we've looked at two thirds that look at basically almost three and a half years. Yeah. Now we're in the final week. Yes. And so it just puts, I think it's important to communicate, this is the emphasis of Mark. So let's put the emphasis where God places the emphasis. Mm. It's, it's on the cross and Jesus is finally, yeah. you know, um, deliverance over, over sin. But so, so a question I had when I was doing this this week is how much time previously had Jesus spent in Jerusalem? Well, in Mark, I can't think of any instances. In Mark, it doesn't bring up Jerusalem previously. It's all Galilee and Judea and, and even Gentile territories. The only thing connection we have from Jerusalem chief priests. is the chief priest coming to speak ill of him and lie about him. The big heavies came up. And isn't that when Jesus you know, talked about the unpardonable yes. sin? Yeah, in response to that. Yeah. So it's like Jesus getting closer to Jerusalem, but in doing so, there's this linking of Jerusalem to his death. And now... and, and this is a point that will come out at the end of the triumphal um, entry that really jumped out for me. But it's like 
the whole book of Mark is like he's getting closer. He's getting closer. Mm. He's coming to visit. He's coming to visit. And now he's about to visit. And so, like, you can just see the eruption of, like, expectation. He's finally here. Yeah, absolutely. And then, and then look at this from verse 7. Mm. And they brought the cult to Jesus and threw their cloaks on it. And he sat on it. Yeah. And then it says, And many spread their cloaks on the road. And others spread leafy branches they had cut from the fields. And those who went before and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. And he entered Jerusalem and went into the temple. Yeah. There was a time where they visited him. Yeah. But now he comes to them. Yeah. And when he had looked around at everything, as it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. Now, here's just the point. I don't see anywhere in Mark so far that he's been in Jerusalem. And yet, do the people know of him? Mm. Yeah. And what do they think of him? Mm. This is the triumphal entry of Messiah, man. They're, they're attributing this is the guy who's going to be taking over from the kingdom of David. Yeah. Right? This cannot be a happy time for the scribes. No. But do, do you find it's like, I read this story and it's climax. Yes. Like triumphal entry. But then it's also anti-climax. Because he finishes with, oh. He goes into the temple and he's like, when he looked around at everything, it as late. it was already late, he went home basically. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like, the whole book of Mark is building towards this moment. I thought the same thing. <laughs> he goes in, he like, looks around. He's going into the temple. He's gonna Where's going to be this confrontation? And he sees. He goes back to Bethany and goes nothing. to sleep. Um, but that nothingness, I think, actually is the lead up to the fig tree incident. Well, can I just say something before we get to the fig Go. tree? It's it's like him going into the temple and looking around is an investigation before he comes and actually judges. So, and and I think that we see this this principle throughout yeah. scripture before judgment comes. There's, yeah, always, there's always an, an investigation. investigation. So here's this That's investigation good. of the temple. Yeah. Um, and he visits this temple, but you know what the crazy thing about the temple? The temple isn't his home. You know, it's not ready to receive him. And so he has to leave the temple. And so there's this like, um, this is foreshadowing, I believe, ultimately the departure of God's presence from the temple yes. because Jesus doesn't remain there. Now, now, don't miss this though. Over and over and over in Mark, Mark emphasized many times how to the late, late, late hours Jesus was healing people and ministering to people. Mm. But then he comes to a temple, which is meant to be the house of prayer where people are freed from their struggles and sins. Yeah. Uh, but it's late. Yeah. What a contrast, right? It's like Jesus, whenever there's a need, he's there. I think, and he goes to the temple. It's like, ah, oh, sorry, it's kind of after five. Which you know what? Like, come tomorrow to fix those sins. I remember. <laughs> I remember on one of our first, you know, podcasts where I think we're talking about the um, the paralyzed man that was let down through the roof. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And you made a really powerful point where you talked about um, Jesus is doing things that are done at the temple like exclusively mm. done at the temple, which was the forgiveness of sins. Yeah, yeah, yes. So why does Jesus need to remain in the temple if he's doing things that the temple does? Yeah. You know, so he, here is the guy who's forgiving sins and healing people. Yeah. Like he's doing the ministry of yeah. the temple and the temple isn't doing those ministries and we're going to see that shortly. Yes. And so he leaves and then the following day he sees a fig tree. Yeah. And so sandwiched in between the fig tree being cursed and I'm just going to kind yeah, of... jump ahead. So he curses his fig tree, cleanses the temple, and then once he leaves the temple, he's, they go past and they see the fig, this fig tree is dead. dead. Yeah. 
And so in the center of this, you see the teaching of that cursed fig tree really is basically yes. a parable of, of what had happened to the temple and yeah. the religious system of, yes. of Judaism. Yeah. So, so let's go there. On, on the following day, when they came from Bethany, he was hungry. Mm. And seeing in a distance a fig tree in leaf. Now, this is an important point. Fig trees, and correct me if I'm wrong, because you know far more about gardening than me. I don't know about but trees. But what I've read a little bit about is fig trees fruit before their leaves. Yeah, I have no idea. So if there's a fig tree full of leaf, it's meant to mean it's got heaps of fruit, right? Yeah. So he's hungry, and then he sees something there that's going to minister to his need. And as he comes to it, it says, but found nothing but leaves. So it appeared to be fruitful, but it was fruitless. Yeah. And this yeah. is for it was not the season for figs. Mm. And he said to it, may no one ever eat fruit from you again. Yeah. And his disciples heard it. Yeah. And so don't, don't miss the symbolism, right? You've got this tree that should, be, should have fruit from, the, from how it appears. Mm. But when he comes to be ministered, he has a need. He's hungry. When he comes for his needs to be ministered, it's not there to minister to him. Yeah. He just went into a temple and there was nothing there yeah. to minister, right? Then what the sandwich that you were talking about. Um, oops, I skipped a page. Uh, verse 15. Yep. He came to Jerusalem, entered the temple, and began to drive those out who sold and who bought in the temple and overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. Mm. And he would not allow anyone to carry anything through the temple. And he was teaching them and saying to them, Is it not written, My house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations? But you have made it a den of robbers. Yeah. And the chief priests and scribes heard it and were seeking a way to destroy him, for they feared him mm. because all the crowd was astonished at his teaching. When evening came, they went out of the city. Now, here's an important point. This wasn't a case of hey, we've got a merch store at the back of the temple. Yeah. From what I was reading about this stuff, people were bringing their animals for sacrifice. And it wasn't enough. And the traditions of man in the temple there, they were like, that's not enough. Yeah. So sell us that one and they would rip them off when they sell it. And then buy off us one that's good enough. It's like when you go and exchange money when you're overseas. Absolutely. They always take a slice. Absolutely. And they would overcharge them yep. for them to be able to go make a sacrifice. And so the day before, Jesus comes into the temple and nothing's happening because it's late. Now, I don't know about you, but as I read the Old Testament, there's no timeline for when you can do this. Mm. Right? Uh, in fact, they slept in the temple, the priests. Right, because if there was this need, there was that. There was a continual fire that was taking place, a continual sacrifice that was taking. Like, you know, like the ministry is in a nine to five ministry. Mm. He leaves, come back the next day, and not now. It's not just that there's nothing happening. He sees the church of God imposing requirements that hinder people from receiving the forgiveness that they want to forgive uh, receive by faith so that they can gain profit off the ministry. It's religious exploitation. It is absolute corruption, yeah. and Jesus won't have a bar of it. Yeah. And that's why the crowd loved it, because they want forgiveness. And he was this whole rule of like, whoa, what? hold up. So I know 
not only do I need to bring this animal, but now I have to get ripped off mm. to be like, you know, the, and so Jesus is absolutely had it with the corruption and rebellion of his people, his chosen people. Yeah. And you know what's interesting is like when you look at the temple, um, there was this section called the Gentile court mm. and that's where the marketplace was. And so the place where the Gentiles were actually allowed to come had been turned into a marketplace. Yes. Not very welcoming, particularly given the fact that it's a marketplace that's ripping people off. Yes. And so like there's this invitation to the Gentiles and what do they see when they come? Corruption. They're absolutely exploited. Like yeah. why would you want to have anything to do with this exactly. kind of God if these people are acting like this? And that's why Jesus says, my house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations. Yes. But you have made it a den of robbers. And so their understanding is when Messiah comes, he'll purge the temporal, temple of the Gentiles. Yes. But Jesus comes to the temple. Yes. And purges he purges it of the Jews. <laughs> he purges the it of the, the Jewish leaders <laughs> and invites the Gentiles to come yeah. in, you know? Yeah. And I think it's quite powerful. And when you connect that with the fig tree, it's like the fig tree and the temple are basically the same kind of symbol. They it have a, the appearance, the appearance of that minished, the needs are being met. But then when you look on the inside, them not meeting. There's nothing. It's like when Jesus, you know, he says, you know, uh, in in Matthew 23, like woe those woes to the Pharisees. Yes. He's like, you know, you're like tombs. Yes. Whitewashed tombs, beautiful on the outside, mm-hmm. full of dead men's yes. bones on the inside. And this is what it is. Mm. This is what it is. It's a fig tree that looks like, oh man, yes. What? Yeah. Right. And so the next day they pass by, and they saw f- that fig tree withered. To its roots. So to its very core, in other words. Absolutely. And Peter remembered and said to him, Rabbi, Rabbi, look, the fig tree that you cursed has with it, as though like Jesus would be surprised that his word has power. (laughs) And Jesus answered him, have faith in God. What an interesting response to that, eh? Mm. Have faith in God. Truly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will come to pass, it will be done for him. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you will receive it and it will be yours. And whenever you stand praying, forgive, pardon, praying, forgive if you have anything against anyone so your Father who is also in heaven may forgive you your trespasses. I think this passage often gets ripped out of its context. Oh, yeah. And people essentially use this as though God, please let me have that new Aldi. I believe, I believe with no doubt I'm getting that mansion. But the context of this is sanctuary. The context of this is forgiveness. And it's yeah, it's centered in the temple. And it's simply saying, This corruption that's going on here, don't buy into it. Yeah. Have faith in God. But you know what? If you ask and believe, yeah, God will forgive. But as well, taken out of context, like Oh God, I've got this mountain in my life. Yes. Can you move it? But when Jesus says, whoever says to this mountain, what's the mountain? Temple Mount. Mm-hmm. Whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea. Now it's interesting, bro, Like because th- when I was reading this, I was thinking, remember when Jesus says he offends one of these little ones, it's like a millstone thrown, yes. tied around his head and thrown into the depths yeah. of the sea. The temple. That was last week or the week before, yeah. Like the, the purpose of the temple was to be for all nations. Yes. But instead it was now serving as a stumbling block, mm-hmm. which essentially said, well, what's the purpose of this? But to have a millstone tied around its neck and thrown into Get the depths of the, of the yeah, sea. So Jesus says, whoever says to this mountain, you know, be taken up and thrown into the sea, but does not doubt in his heart, but believes. Jesus is basically saying, one greater than the temple is here. Yeah. And, and he's going to replace all of these sacrificial systems. And it's me. The sanctuary system at its beginning 
It was all an act of faith. Mm. And they turned it into an act of merit. Yeah. And it's unredeemable. He doesn't say, okay, better year next year. He curses that fig tree and destroys it. It's, uh, it's got to the point where it's unredeemable. Not the people. Mm. The corruption and the system. Yeah. And he comes and he visits it before the judgment is yes, pronounced. Absolutely. Yeah. And so I think it's really important to understand that this is in the context of your sins. Mm. Some people will test this promise in the context of a car. And be like, God never got me the car. And then they start doubting their sins. But that was never the context of this. If you, by faith, confess your sins to God, the only thing that might be keeping you is if you're choosing to not forgive others. Yeah. And I want to spend a little bit of time on this because this is not talked about enough. Mm. If you harbor, if you refuse to not forgive people, your own salvation is in jeopardy. Yeah, yeah. It it's the only thing he brings up on top of this stuff, mm. in the sense of the only thing that might prevent you being forgiven, even if you believe it, is if you're refusing to forgive someone else. Yeah. And so, therefore, when you where, where, whenever you stand praying, forgive mm. if you have anything against anyone, so that your Father, also who is in heaven, may forgive you your trespasses. Making things right with each other is not just nice. It's not just the Christian thing to do. It's not just the the preferred thing to do. It is important. It is salvational. It's a Christian obligation. Absolutely. It's and the thing is, like, if you can't forgive the unforgivable in others, then you know why why would God forgive the unforgivable in you? You know what I mean? Like, yeah. it's like if God's going to forgive you at your worst, and if God's going to make the first move, and this is really the reality. Mm-hmm. Often we, okay, I'll forgive that person when they make the first step. But the Bible doesn't say that you're to wait, you're to to wait for the other person to make that first step. You yeah. make that first step, absolutely, because God has made that first step towards you. And yes. if you're going to follow God, then you're going to act like God, behave like God, and live like God, which mm-hmm. means that you're going to show grace, unmerited favor to people yes. that don't deserve it. And sometimes, bro, we just have to lay aside our own prejudices, our absolutely. own ideas to do what God wants us to do. I guess it's always hard to do it. Hmm. But I kind of just want to share a bit of a story. Um, to this day, when I think about it, I feel betrayed. So I was working for a ministry in America. And before God, I was doing it faithfully. As faithfully a fallen Boris can be. Right, I'm not claiming any perfection or that there was no shortcomings, but I really did do the best that I could, and I believe that I was doing it with God, mm. and there was going above and beyond. Through a series of lies and betrayal, um, this mentor of mine, he got another job in another conference as the president there. And he wanted me to work for him. I wanted to work somewhere else. Um, And so when I applied for that, he gave me a bad reference. While at the same time asking me to work for him. This is very human. Just because it's in the church of God doesn't mean you don't find humans. Long story short, out of this, I ended up becoming homeless in America. And this man who I loved... And honestly, to, th- to this day, there's probably not been anyone 
who's helped me in my walk with God more than him. Mm. I hated him with everything I had. And I've, this was not just me. This was a pattern of behavior. I'm not going to, but I could list, a, like I could off the top of my head list 10 other people that something similar like this has happened to with this man. And every single one of them, they just speak respectfully of him and let it go. And I was like, no, nah, that's not going to be me. <laughs> this is enough's enough. And so wherever I went, just started sharing the story, sharing, sharing the story. And I wanted people to know how, how rubbish he was and, and all of that. And, and truthfully, man, for the first time in my life, for the first time in my life, I've never hated anyone before, but I hated him. You had to put that verse into practice. I hated him. For years, and I came back to Australia and people would hear, oh, you learned under so-and-so. Oh, how is he? How was that? And you know what? I couldn't even remember the good years. I just remember the betrayal. Hated the man. And I'd be like, oh, look, he's not what he seems. He's not this and that. He's not this and that. Anyway, I guess full circle, I was back in Melbourne. (laughs) And it might have been that same time. And at that church, they do a whole bunch of... um, ministry to um, international students and a lot of them come from China and China and unfortunately because of China's one child policy that they had for many years there is a lot of females that have been absolutely treated horrifically Mm. by their parents for being female yeah and the hate that I had towards is the hate that they have towards their parents because they've made them feel like they've been a curse on the family for nothing they could control. And many of them go above and beyond trying to seek the approval and love and affection of dad. But by the very fact that they're a female, they just got none. And they're an embarrassment. And not just an embarrassment, but there's an anger towards them because of one child policy. They can't try again. We wasted our, our, our chance on you. That's devastating. And yet here we are preaching evangelism to them that they need to receive forgiveness. And so... I was talking to the people running this. They're like, you need to also preach on the need to forgive others. And they shared the kind of situation with me. I was like, yeah, I get that. They need to let this go. Mm. And so there I was, man. I put the sermon together and I'm preaching about the need to forgive. And the Spirit was with me, man. And I'm preaching and preaching. The Spirit convicted you. And while I'm preaching, dude, I realize I'm not preaching to them. Mm. Here I am, a preacher, believing I'm forgiven. Refusing to forgive. Yeah. And there while I was preaching, I decided to forgive. Mm. And I answered my own appeal along with others. And he's the thing that blew my mind. This whole time, I'm like, I'm not going to let him off the hook. He doesn't deserve to be let off the hook. But the second I forgave him, I realized the only person I was keeping on the hook is me. He doesn't yeah. feel my feelings. He doesn't yeah. feel my hurt. He's going about life as normal. The only person suffering is me. And I remembered this quote. It says, forgiving someone else is letting the captive free then realizing it was you. you. Mm. When we are not willing to forgive, we can't. We can't experience the freedom of forgiveness. And Jesus is not coming at this from the point of view, if you don't, I won't. He's saying, if you don't, I can't. Right? I can't force it out of your hand. You got to let that go. And until you're willing to let that go, then and only then can I give you that feeling, that sense, that confidence, that assurance of freedom and forgiveness that is only found in me. Mm. 
And so I don't know if there's any listeners, I don't know if that relates to you or whatever, but I wanted to share that story because I think there are many in this world who somehow feel justified or they feel righteous or they feel like they don't deserve to be forgiven. It's not about them. It's about are you willing to let go Mm. and let God handle the situation and in that same process free you and forgive you for all the hurt you've caused. Mm. And I think that that's a really, really important part of the Christian walk. Yeah, I think it's you know fully, fully embodied in like the whole idea where Jesus says you got to pick up a cross just the same. Yeah, um, blind Bartimaeus, you know, okay, I'm going to follow Jesus on this That's way, it. and when I follow Jesus on this way, I follow Jesus all the way. Amen. Which means doing what He wants me to do. Yeah, yeah. Thanks, guys, for tuning in today. We pray that you're blessed as we discussed those chapters with Mark, um, and we're looking forward to continuing with you guys next week. God bless.